Welcome to the markets. Hello again, Orion Samuelson with you for our weekly visit on this Friday, the 7th of August, Dateline, Chicago, Illinois. And again, as we talk markets, whether it's agriculture or Wall Street, we'll have to probably say COVID-19 about two dozen times because, as usual, the markets have been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic impacting markets around the world. But we begin with a look at today's activity on Wall Street. The NASDAQ closed lower today, data showing a sharp slowdown in U.S. employment growth, and investors worried that lawmakers would fail to agree on another fiscal stimulus bill to bolster the economy from the coronavirus-induced recession. With the benchmark S&P 500 now about 1.5% below its record high, defensive sectors including utilities and real estate were among the gainers. Tech-related stocks, which have fueled the Wall Street rally since March, posted the biggest declines, and it helped push the Nasdaq down more than 1% during the session. But along the same line, value names, which have been unable to close the performance gap with growth stocks in recent years, advanced, with financials gaining more than 2%. The U.S. Labor Department closely watched report showed non-farm payrolls increased 1,760,000 in July. That's much lower than the record 4.8 million in June. However, the figure still topped economists' expectations, and analysts said it could take the pressure off Congress to agree on a relief bill after several weeks of arguing over the amounts of help in that bill. Differences have partly centered around continuing an extra $600 per week in unemployment benefits. And congressional Democrats today offered to reduce a proposed coronavirus aid package by $1 trillion if Republicans would add a trillion to their counteroffer. But President Trump's negotiators rejected the idea as the latest round of talks ended without a deal. U.S. Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer called the meeting with Republicans disappointing. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said an agreement on stimulus seemed unlikely, with differences still largely unresolved. And one analyst said the bottom line reality is that unemployment is through the roof. With respect to historical averages, we are still in a pandemic with no cure, and the politicians have promised another $1 trillion or more to the American people. But the analyst added it would be political suicide if they don't deliver that amount. So today, the Dow Jones Industrial Average rose 46.5 points, or 17 hundredths of a percent, Closing the week at 27,433, the S&P 500 gained a little over two points to end at 
3351, and the NASDAQ Composite Index dropped 97 points to end the week at 11,010. Well, make it 11,011. So the decline snapped the NASDAQ seven-session streak of gains with the Dow and the S&P falling after rising for five straight days. Each of the three major averages posted weekly gains, however, and with the second quarter corporate earnings season largely over. About 82% of the S&P 500 companies that have reported so far have beaten the estimates that were dramatically lowered. T-Mobile U.S. jumped 6.5% as it added more than expected monthly phone subscribers and said it had overtaken rival AT&T as the second largest U.S. wireless provider. And the stock was the biggest gainer on the S&P 500 Communication Services Index. Uber fell a little over 5% as demand for its ride-hailing trips only marginally recovered from pandemic rock bottom in the second quarter. Meanwhile, President Trump late yesterday unveiled sweeping bans on U.S. transactions with the Chinese owners of messaging app WeChat and video sharing app TikTok. And in response, here we go again, China said the companies complied with U.S. laws and warned Washington would have to bear the consequences of its action. So uh, those are some of the highlights of the activity this week. Taking a look at gold prices, it moved above $2,000 an ounce for the first time in history. And the oil picture, oil prices fell nearly 2% today, limiting their weekly gain because of concerns on the global recovery And the rise in infections remains the dominant issue for the fuel demand outlook. So at the end of the day, at the end of the week, Brent crude down 69 cents a barrel to end at $44.40. And U.S. crude fell 73 cents to end the week at $41.22 a barrel. Brent rose 2.5% for the week, while U.S. crude gained 2.4%. So, now that we have looked backward, let's look ahead. What's ahead for the markets? And we start the week on trading week on Monday with Marriott International, expected to post a second quarter loss, hurt by extended travel disruptions, because of the, you guessed it, COVID-19 pandemic. Occidental Petroleum expected to post a second quarter loss compared with a year ago profit, as again, the pandemic hurt energy demand and caused a steep fall in oil prices. Royal Canadian Cruise Lines expected to swing to a second quarter loss after the COVID-19 pandemic brought the cruise industry to a grinding halt. And Canadian fertilizer maker Nutrien Limited expected to report a decline in its second quarter profit, likely hit by lower corn demand and potash prices. 
and Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey, or JOLTS. It's going to report, scheduled to be released uh, for the June numbers with an update on their industry. And then as we look ahead to the rest of the week, some of the highlights uh, for the rest of the week, Lyft, Wednesday, expected to fall in second quarter revenue as people stay indoors to protect themselves against the COVID-19 pandemic. That also prompted many states to enforce stay-at-home orders, further cutting down on commuting within cities. Investors will be looking at any commentary on demand recovery. Winterware maker Canada Goose Holdings Tuesday expected to post a loss in the first quarter, hurt by weak demand for luxury items. The Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation scheduled to release housing starts data on Tuesday, and Canadian factory sales data for June scheduled to be released on Friday. The again will be several virtual meetings uh, involving Federal Reserve Bank uh, governors, and uh, there will still be a few earnings reports that were not reported or covered uh, during the past two or three weeks. So that's what's ahead for the week. But uh, there's a lot of other activity and reports that will be looked at as having an impact. Uh, We've talked a great deal about the pressure on the... uh, the travel industry, and there were several examples of that again this week. Norwegian Cruise Lines, for example, posted a bigger-than-expected loss because of the pandemic. The uh, loss happened because of the travel curbs and no sale orders due to, you guessed it, the pandemic. And uh, the uh, Hilton Hotel reported bigger-than-expected losses as virus hammered bookings in hotels. Shares of the company fell 2.4% before the market opened yesterday. The company said 96% of its system-wide hotels were open as of July 31st. And the airline industry, today we heard from Delta saying it will need at least 3,000 of its about 20,000 flight attendants to take unpaid leave of 4 to 12 months or consider other options to avoid involuntary furloughs due to the weak air travel industry because of COVID-19. U.S. airlines are struggling with overstaffing as the coronavirus pandemic crushes air travel demand. Atlanta-based Delta last month reported a 91% plunge in second quarter revenue and a $3.9 billion adjusted tax laws. The airlines had in a memo told pilots it would furlough if they, uh, or pilots could avoid furloughs if they agreed to reduce guaranteed minimum pay. 
Job growth uh, dropped in July, too, because of the pandemic. It slowed considerably amid a resurgence in the new COVID-19 infections. The Labor Department's closely watched employment report today piled pressure on the White House and Congress to reach an agreement on another aid package, but uh, the members of Congress, both parties, are still playing games with people's income and with their future. So there's the pandemic that's overriding just about anything else in the marketplace, and that will continue to have an impact again next week. As I've said three, four, five dozen times, I have never in my lifetime experienced such an unusual summer as far as activity and travel and county fairs and state fairs and outdoor farm shows and all of the other events that have been canceled because of the pandemic. Well, Mike Pearson will uh, join us with his guest to talk agricultural markets when we continue on the markets. Orion here, and if you are looking to increase your profit per acre, and who isn't these days, then I urge you to check out Flora. F-L-U-R-A has cultivated premium genetic hemp strains from a company of innovators, farmers, and researchers that deliver the highest quality seeds and the infrastructure you need to support your farming operation. Call Jeffrey at 312-206-18 Check out Flora.com. Matt Bennett from AgMarket.net is joining us this week. Matt, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. Thanks for having me. You bet. Well, I tell you what, uh, looking ahead to this next week, we've got the August World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates Report coming out of USDA. As you look ahead, gaze into your crystal ball a little bit. What do you think USDA is going to do with this corn crop? Where do you think yields are going to come in? Yeah, it's a really good question. Obviously, everybody's going to be looking first at yield, no question about it. I guess we have to look at the crop conditions a little bit. I know a lot of folks want to discount those, but you got to look at those and, and look at what, what we've done in the past. And so very similar rated crop back in 2018, USDA came in. Now, they were in the field. We all know that. And so uh, only part of that was based upon surveys. But uh, back in 2018, they came in at 181. You know, you're five, six bushel above trend line back then. Uh, are they going to have something like that coming out again this year? I guess I would assume that it's going to come in well above 180 uh, just based upon, uh, you know, your survey-based approach. I do think the producers outside, especially of the stressed areas of Iowa, are probably going to be pretty high on their crop. Gotcha. Now, when you think about a corn crop over 180 bushels, perhaps substantially over 180 bushels per acre, you know, we've seen the December contract lose about 40 cents since early July. Have we priced in a a monster crop this year? You know, that's a really good question. I've got to think that if we didn't have some of these uh, nice sales, surprise sales here in the last couple, three weeks from China, you know, two million ton last week, obviously huge, uh, huge, uh, I guess, uh, sale that we weren't necessarily expecting. I think that the market would have struggled to keep this 320 support. Uh, Are we going to see more sales like that moving forward? Uh, I do think that we've probably priced in a pretty good sized crop. Uh, Have we priced in a 183 or 184 like some of us are projecting? 
projecting for this August report? Uh, maybe not. So I think it remains to be seen. It's going to be moving parts. I think a lot of things are at play, though. I mean, you're looking at some inflationary stuff going on. Obviously, the dollar's been very weak lately. Uh, so there's some things that are actually supporting the corn market that maybe we weren't counting on previously. Well, now, how about soybeans? Of course, as we head into the month of August, this is the key month of growing season for that soybean crop. Uh, what are you guys looking at for expected yield on this USDA report? You know, for, for beans, we're looking at around 51.4, 51.5, you know, right in that neighborhood. Uh, we feel like they'll come in in August and, and it'll be above what they're, they were projecting previously, just due to the fact that, again, you've got really good crop conditions. Uh, are you going to see a, a really large yield here in August? It's probably a little early to be able to post something like that. But I think that if the forecast verifies moving ahead, looking forward, Mike, I've got to think that this uh, yield that they post here next week could probably grow in, in future reports. I mean, I feel like this bean crop could be rather large. I think we set the table for it uh, with a really good fall last year and a really good spring this year. Uh, and so we were able to see uh, early planting. We know that that typically is conducive to really good yields. And so I think this bean crop actually is, is, is quite large. Now, from a technical perspective, given that we do have potentially a large soybean crop coming, that 880 level in November seems to be a decent uh, level of support. Does that carry forward post-report, do you think? Yeah, again, that's a great question. I think that there's still some moving parts there. We know that uh, Chinese purchases have just continued to uh, be fantastic uh, for the market. You know, we, we've been able to see uh, sales every week of late, uh, you know, that I, I think have just been nothing but a pleasant surprise. And so are we going to continue to see those? And I, I do think that if, if the Chinese keep buying, even if the crop's big, you, you probably at least see some support in that area. Matt, before we jump off the topic completely, WASDI coming out, what are your carryout expectations for corn and soybeans? You know, I think even if we come out with a, a large yield like we're projecting, we're still going to be below 3 billion bushels. You know, you might end up seeing a new crop carry in that 2.9 area, 2.8 and a half, 2.9. Uh, you know, but bottom line, I don't think it's going to get wildly out of control. Uh, you know, as some people suggested maybe a couple months ago, as far as uh, uh, soybeans are concerned, you know, I think in that 5, 5.50 range is probably going to be a, a safe place to be unless they get a little aggressive on the upside on yield, uh, which I, again, and I really don't think that they're going to do for this report. All right. Well, you mentioned earlier the weakening of the U.S. dollar. This has been a trend that's been in place for about six weeks. Uh, certainly should be beneficial to the wheat market. We've seen a lot of volatility in wheat. Is that going to continue? you got to hope that you'll still see some volatility. I mean, traders love to see volatility. We know that. But, you know, as far as the wheat market rallying, which I think a lot of the people that are watching are, are wanting to, uh, I guess, get a handle on it, it's a tough time of year, in my opinion, to get a wheat rally. I do think some of the issues that we've had around the world as far as weather is concerned, you know, have been somewhat mitigated. I think that we've got good enough weather to have enough wheat. Now, inflationary-wise, is that going to help the wheat market? I absolutely think that it could uh, if we do get some inflation if the dollar continues to drop I and mean, we saw good export sales again this week uh, but i can't say that i'm bullish wheat i i I'd struggle to get bullish especially going into harvest corn and beans i think could be a bit of an anchor i, I just don't see the wheat market being able to see uh, new highs by any stretch of the imagination all right well as we get through summer of course you mentioned we are looking ahead to harvest but we're also coming through grilling season matt when we think about meat demand we've seen live cattle be in this upward trend since the depths of 
of the COVID crisis earlier this spring. How much higher can we run here throughout the summer? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Again, of course, I mean, this is a high demand time uh, and we know that a lot of folks haven't been able to go out to eat. But at the same time, we're all trying to grill, trying to just get outdoors and do something, you know, especially in the areas where people aren't able to get out and go as much as what we are in the rural areas. But, uh, you know, what, what are we going to see for cattle prices? I mean, I, I've said all along that I think if you could work through some of these heavier weights as far as your uh, your live cattle are concerned, I think that you could see some uh, some more strength later on. Uh, if I look at December cattle, I could see us getting into that 115, 117 area on down the road. Uh, I do think that there could be more upside here. I think beef demand is very strong. Uh, people are still going to want to eat a steak if they get a chance to do so. And I think that that's reflected, you know, in what your price structure is with a little bit of carry in this in this live cattle market. Do you think we can get there with rolling uh, shutdowns still in place throughout the economy? Or do we really need restaurants open to move that live cattle price higher? I kind of feel like if you really want to get the live cattle price exciting, um, you know, you're going to have to get your restaurants back open. But can we get to 115 without that happening? Yes. Or are we going to get above it without it happening? Eh, that might be a little bit more of a stretch. I'm making the assumption that as we move forward, uh, we're going to find ways to open up, at least in some areas. I know that it's, uh, it's. I mean, I'm no politician. I don't know a whole lot about, uh, you know, all the ramifications of opening up everywhere. Uh, but I do think people are wanting to get back to normal, if at all possible. I mean, nobody wants to put anybody else in danger. But I do know people love to go out to eat, and they love to go out to eat on Friday night for a steak dinner. You bet. Something to celebrate a little bit. Well, Matt Bennett, we always appreciate the chance to chat with you. Thanks for giving us your insights on where these markets are headed. Hey, I appreciate you having me on the show, Mike. Let me begin my discussion of agricultural activity this week by saluting the American Soybean Association. The association celebrated its 100th anniversary this week in Camden, Indiana, where the Fouts brothers started the American Soybean Association. Max Armstrong was there to join the celebration, and it sounds like quite an event. For those of you that listen to the old National Barn Dance on WLS Radio in Chicago and heard Captain Stubby and the Buccaneers, well, that's the farm where the Soybean Association started. Uh, The four brothers in the Fouts family started it, I guess, on their farm. And so they celebrated the 100th anniversary this past week. Glad that Max could be there because both Max and I have uh, been a part of many tours to promote soybean sales from the U.S. over the years and have also attended many meetings of the American Soybean Association. So uh, congratulations again. And then something happened this week that I found very unusual. Two senior Republican senators from top farm states got into an argument. They locked horns over legislation intended to make cattle markets more transparent after the COVID-19 pandemic tanked livestock prices. The two senators, both Republican, Chuck Grassley from Iowa, and a bipartisan group of colleagues introduced a bill in May that would force meat packers like JBS USA 
and Tyson Foods and Cargill to buy at least half the beef cattle they process directly from producers on the open market and then process those animals within two weeks. Well, there was a disagreement between Senator Grassley and Senator Pat Roberts of Kansas because Grassley said the bill would make it easier for farmers to track market prices and increase competition among meat packers. Cattle prices fell in March and April as processing plants shut down due to the COVID-19, even as beef prices climbed to their biggest premium over cattle records since the records began in 2001. U.S. Senator Pat Roberts of Kansas, chair of the Senate Agriculture Committee, is a surprising opponent. And Senator Grassley, in a call with reporters this week, accused Roberts of delaying the bill and said Roberts' staff is geared up to fight it. But he said, I'm working to understand the diverse perspectives within the industry regarding market volatility and transparency. Roberts and some cattle producers did not see how Grassley's bill will help. Meatpackers are against it, according to an industry lobbyist, as some producer groups that oppose the federal government dictating free market practices. So two well-known Republican senators are at odds over that uh, legislation. And then uh, China and the U.S. keep being mentioned as seeing tensions and trade tensions uh, go up. But despite that, the Department of Agriculture today reported private sales of U.S. soybeans to China of 456,000 tons. That's the biggest single-day soy sale uh, to the world's top buyer since June 11th. And smaller sales were reported on Wednesday and Thursday as well as sales uh, to unknown destinations. And those deals came despite political tensions between Washington and Beijing. China's purchases of products, corn, wheat, grain sorghum, soybeans, pork, are continuing at a rapid pace without regard to the geopolitical tensions, according to Bill Lapp, who is president of the Nebraska-based Advanced Economic Solutions. China's soybean imports rose 18% this year through July, versus a year ago as large volumes of soybeans from Brazil arrived. That's according to Chinese trade officials. The Asian country has increasingly turned to U.S. supplies in recent weeks, with the USDA reporting that China bought nearly 5.2 million tons in the weeks as we have continued to watch China do their buying and uh, carrying out some of what they said they would do when the phase one of the trade agreement between China and the United States was signed. That, of course, uh, went into effect a little bit later than the uh, signing in January. 
Also, 28 U.S. farm groups have asked the U.S. Department of Agriculture to extend the deadline for farmers to apply for coronavirus assistance payments and try harder to reach more growers hurt by the pandemic. The American Farm Bureau Federation, with organizations representing producers of goods ranging from apples to cotton and cattle, said in a letter that USDA's August 28th deadline may prevent farmers from participating in the $16 billion aid program. We know that farmers and ranchers have struggled to sell their goods because of disruptions caused by the pandemic, forcing some to throw out food, euthanize livestock, and turn to the government for help. Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue said, We strongly encourage you to increase producer and stakeholder engagement uh, initiatives. The USDA paid out about $6.8 billion in the program as of August 3rd, with cattle, milk, and corn producers being the biggest recipients of those funds. So, as we come to the end of another get-together here, let's quickly take a look at uh, the closing prices at the Chicago Board of Trade and the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, because despite uh, those sales that we talked about, we did, uh, because of the good crop production weather, run into a situation where there was downward pressure on quite a few of the ag prices. So very quickly at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, August lean hogs ended the week up a dollar twenty-five cents a hundredweight. August live cattle up just ten cents a hundredweight, and the August feeder cattle ended the week down five cents a hundredweight. Meanwhile, at the Chicago Board of Trade, we ended the week with pretty much a red screen because the uh, uh, September. Wheat down a nickel a bushel, September corn down three and a half cents a bushel, and August soybeans down nine and a half cents a bushel. And here we are again, out of time. But thank you for joining Max Armstrong and me on the markets.